Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello and welcome to The Drinking Hour here on Food FM with me, David Kermode. This week we're having a rum do with Ian Burrell whose journey from bartender to global ambassador has taken in basketball, music and, of course, plenty of rum. Uh, We'll find out more about its history and the inspiration for his own rum brand, Equiano. It's a fascinating story. Plus, as always, your medal winners from the IWSC 2022. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. Rum has been talked up for a while now as the next big thing. So has it conquered the spirits world yet? Well, who better to ask than a man who knows pretty much all there is to know about rum? Ian Burrell is a global rum ambassador. He's on the Spirits Judging Committee at the IWSC, and he's the co-founder of Equiano, uh, a brand that strives to put something back into the places it sources its innovative spirit. Uh, Ian is a familiar face on Channel 4's Sunday Brunch as well, and a celebrity mixologist from time to time in bars all over the world. Uh, you guessed it, making rum cocktails. And I'm delighted to say he joins us now. Ian, welcome to The Drinking Hour. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, an early drinking hour. <laughs> it is an early drinking hour. Yeah, I should, uh, for those uh, listening, I should say this is 10 o'clock in the morning. So it's probably <laughs> a little bit early for rum, but you never know. Um, anyway, you're a, a brand co-owner, an ambassador, a judge, an all-round rum personality. And you've also been a basketball player, a mm-hmm. recording artist, a bartender. Yeah. In fact, you're still a bartender on a celebrity basis sometimes. Um, I read somewhere that it's very hard to pin you down, to describe you. Just tell <laughs> us a bit more about how you got involved in the drinks world. Um, actually, I would say I fell into it by accident, um, especially the rum world. But the drinks world, it was a case of um, after finishing my A-levels at school, I was looking to take a little bit of time off. Um, so my friend convinced me to go and work in a bar and uh, ended up staying uh, because I loved it so much. So I got into the drinks industry just by making cocktails, meeting customers, having fun and getting paid for doing that. And I was like, wow, if you can have a job, we can have fun and get paid for doing it, then maybe that's the, the job for me. Um, so yeah, so that's how I got into the drinks industry. And that was in the early 90s. I have to say, if you're behind a bar... And you're the mm. kind of person who enjoys that role. It is uh, hard work, but it's also kind of the best job in the world, really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it was like flexi time. So you'd, you'd come in late in the afternoon and leave late at night, but you've got, on the, you're probably going to be partying anyway. So why not get paid for doing that? One of my uh, O-levels was in chemistry. So um, all of the spirits behind me, behind my bar, were all my elements and cocktails and my compounds. So again, it became 
um, applied work. <laughs> I was actually using some of my uh, science uh, in making in making drinks. So yeah, so it was a is a case of a lot of fun. The other thing I, I I was supposed to do was become an actor. I was supposed to go to drama school, and um, the, the the bar actually became my stage, and my customers became my audience. So again, I was a uh, actually living all of my qualifications at a very young age, an early age. So I didn't need to do any other work because I had everything in, in one, just being a bartender. Yeah, well, there's plenty of kind of showbiz to what you do. There's no doubt about that. Um, mm. Rum is your passion. Um, yes. Tell us, you said it kind of happened by accident. You kind of fell into it. <laughs> tell us how you kind of fell for its charms. Um, I think as a, my, my family's Jamaican and uh, as a Jamaican, rum is part of the family. It's part of the, the culture and the lifestyle. Um, so I've always had rum around me. Um, I like to joke that um, my first tip of rum was when I was about four days old, depending on um, who's telling the story with my grandmother or my mom as a Jamaican growing up. So I've always had rum in my blood, <laughs> metaphorically. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I suppose once I started working in the bar and learning more about the rum category, it just became even more and more fascinating uh, to learn about its history and learn about where it was at the present time and where it was potentially going in the future. Um, so that's how I really got into the whole rum road. It was actually, I was born into it, I'd like to say. Um, and now I tried to, and then I tried to take it on to that next level by making it become part of, uh, part of my profession. I want to talk about rum's history because there's um, mm-hmm. plenty to talk about, but we're going to kind of do it in reverse order because first okay. of all, I want to talk about the now because uh, okay. um, it's been talked up as the next big thing you know, after yeah. the gin boom and, and the rest yeah. uh, for quite a while now. So is that actually happening in your experience? And if so, why? Um, well, the thing is with rum, rum has always been, uh, ever since uh, we started analysing sales and figures, uh, especially during the 90s and early 2000s, rum has always been seen as the next big thing because you had the, the tequila boom and then you had the gin boom, you had, sorry, the vodka boom and then the gin boom. And it was always like rum's next, rum's next, rum's next. And one of the reasons why is because rum is a popular spirit. It's drunk in many, many ways, especially in cocktails or in serves. I mean, the rum and coke is still one of the most popular calls. Uh, Cocktail-wise, you've got mojito, which, again, very, very popular call. So rum has always been a popular spirit. But it's only in the, lot, in the recent years, in recent times, where uh, statistics are now starting to show that rum is eaten into the whiskey market because of the age uh, variants, the premium age variants. It's tapping into that gin market because of the fun spice rum uh, variants you can have with your mixers. Um, so there's a rum out there for everybody. There's a different style of rum out there, and this is uh, this has all got this is all basically culminated with the sales of rum uh, now outshining whiskey and catching up to gin, if not gin, um, taking over gin quite soon. So um, it's now starting to uh, it's now starting to uh, uh, attain its own hype. Everyone was like, rum's the next big thing, but now it is the big thing. And it's where rum can go now, um, whether it be the premium end or whether it be the spice rum end. So it's nice to see because rum is a great spirit. And uh, as I said, it has a lot of culture uh, behind it. So it's nice to see uh, products like that starting to flourish. And uh, you specialize in uh, something that uh, either you call or someone else has called edutainment. Uh, combination, right, yeah. education, um, entertainment, a kind of portmanteau of the two. Um, tell yeah. us a bit more about the way that you choose to communicate rum, because it's it's quite special, really. Yeah, well, I love I love telling stories. Um, I suppose that's come come from growing up um, around storytellers, and then of course um, doing the whole drama and theatre, um, telling stories to communicate. But I also love 
uh, comedy. I love telling jokes. And I always felt that one of the best ways to actually have someone retain information um, or learn more about uh, the subject you're talking about is make them feel good, make them feel happy, give them a joke, make them laugh, make them relate to certain things. So it was an, ed- an entertaining way to educate people. Um, so it was a word that I coined, edutainment, uh, a while back. Um, also, because of my music industry, uh, I used to do a, flirted around with a little bit of rapping uh, as such. And there was, a, there was a rapper in the States that used to call himself the edutainer. Um, and I learned so much about history just through his music, where I, I, I wasn't a big fan of history in school. So obviously it worked. And I said, well, why can't I adopt that in the way I present um, and make sure that I entertain people, but at the same time, educate them. It then means that it's not so much about what you say, but how you make people feel. And that's what they take away from um, a presentation. And they can always remember how they felt and then they recall that. But what they're recalling is the key bits of information that you wanted them to actually take away. So you leave little anchors uh, inside their mind. Um, while you're educating them and while you're entertaining them. So that's why I call it edutainment. And uh, I suppose that's the reason why um, it's it's helped me uh, establish the, myself as a global ambassador for RUM, uh, traveling around the world, giving lectures and speeches and talks and presentations um, in, in all seven continents. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, seriously impressive what, what you've uh, achieved on, on that front. And, and I'm a, a, a wine guy, really, primarily. Oh, cool. And, uh, and actually, we could learn a thing or two uh, in the communication of wine um, from mm. what uh, you've been up to with rum. But um, using those skills, um, for those <laughs> who might um, uh, feel that they're not on board the rum train, and I yeah. kind of include myself here because okay. you know, I'm, a, I'm a kind of grape spirit kind of guy. Nice, uh, so nice. I'm, I'm almost slightly scared of rum in a way because I'm just not familiar <laughs> enough with it. So give us the lowdown yeah. on what rum is and what makes it special. Okay, well, I mean, to, to be rum, you have to basically have to be made from sugarcane, whether it's, uh, and there's different variants um, of, of, raw, of, of raw material you can use to make rum from sugarcane, whether it's fresh sugarcane juice, whether it's sugarcane syrup, where the juice has just been, uh, the water has just been reduced in the sugar it has been increased uh, by heat uh, by heat or you can use molasses which is uh, the byproduct of of making sugar itself that is the raw material but the thing is with sugarcane because it's a grass and it grows in different areas around the world and it has different terroir um, you can capture that terroir in your fermentation and distillation especially when we're talking about fresh sugarcane juice and sometimes the syrups uh, as well um, also the terroir is an important part of when you're aging your rum, if you age a rum, for example, in Jamaica, and you have exactly the same rum and you age it in, say, England, it will be a completely different spirit just because it's taken and absorbed some of the natural environment um, as it's aging. So terroir is an important part of how rum is made um, and where it's made. And, and that is something that, I, that you can probably empathize with when it comes to wines, because you're, 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 you're taking, the grapes are, uh, are made in certain ways in certain areas, and they're taking bacteria from the environment to, for the, as part of that fermentation. And that is also uh, part of rum. And what we try and do is concentrate that flavor through distillation. It's, it's, much, more, it's much more abundant if the, the, the stills you're using are what we call pot stills or alambic stills, because you're retaining that as opposed to trying to strip away the flavor uh, in what we call multi-column stills so that is if you're really trying to get into the layers and flavors of rums but not everyone drinks neat spirits some people might want to drink a cocktail 
Um, I've had many people say to me, oh, I'm not a big rum fan. And then I'll ask them what their favorite drink is. They'll say, oh, I love daiquiris, mojitos, uh, dark and stormies. They'll like all these rum cocktails. And I uh, like to say to them, well, you do love rum. It's just how you drink it. It's, it's about your rum experience. If your rum experience is with a mixer, as opposed to being neat, then great, you're still drinking rums, but just that your your palate wants to move towards um, something that has a little bit more either sweetness or effervescence as a bubbly drink. I suppose if we're using the wine analogy, some people like their red wines, they're big, heavy, uh, maybe Riocas uh, from Spain, and some people like their, their light, really like Pinot Grigios uh, as such. And it's about it's about preference. It's about preference and palate. So that's um, how we uh, that's how we like to I like to introduce rum uh, to the learned audience, uh, and then just try and find a rum for them. Yeah, and yeah. I think you say somewhere when I was doing my homework. But in an ideal world, at least, everyone's first experience of rum should be neat. Yeah, I, I would say that. And that's just so you can really taste the raw rum itself. Again, in an ideal world, it would be that. But some people are going to shy away from that that, that heat, that, that spirit. Uh, even if it's only a, a paltry 40% ABV, <laughs> they might, oh, it's a bit, too, a bit too hot for me. I need to water it down or soften it up. So in an ideal world, it would be neat, especially when you're tasting some of the really great white rums. Um, that really encompass some of the actual natural terrain and uh, terroir and flavor profiles of distillation. That would be the ideal scenario. But we don't live in an ideal scenario, unfortunately. So sometimes some people's first taste of rum is mixed with Coke or Red Bull. (laughs) Mm, Indeed. Yeah. And uh, if that's what people like, then, you know, what's wrong with that, frankly? I've got a... uh... Uh, let's say an interesting history, somewhat mm. checkered. Tell yeah. us uh, a bit more about uh, rum's history, because you're a, a yeah. bit of an expert on this. Well, rum's history, rum is always, when we talk about the history of rum, naturally, the first thing that comes up is uh, enslavement of Africans, um, because that's always that association, rum and slavery. But that's the same with any agricultural um, business especially back in the 16th, 17th century. Um, If it was agricultural, you needed workers to work for free um, or or forced workers to work on the land, whether it was cotton, whether it's tobacco, and of course, sugar, uh, which was one of the uh, most important uh, spices and commodities, especially in the 17th century, it made countries super rich and made people super wealthy. Um, and that's why you had European countries going out to the Caribbean to find land and to find areas where they could grow sugarcane, uh, this gold uh, uh, that they saw. And of course, if you're making rum from a byproduct of that, you're making even more money. You're making money from sugar. You're making money from rum. You're wealthy. You're super rich. But again, it's arduous work. Um, so rum has always been associated with that dark history of an enslavement of Africans. Um, and there's no running away from that. And it's something we all have to understand. But we can learn from that. We can learn from that and to make sure things like that are not happening today, not only in the rum industry, but in the agriculture industry uh, globally around the world. So I, I, I always try to bring that into the stories because sometimes, especially in the in previous times, it was always swept under the carpet. And I think we should be all looking to everyone looking to learn about learn about what happened, not try to put our heads in the sand, understand it, embrace it, and then use what we use from our mistakes in the past to better ourselves in the future. Yeah. And we might optimistically think that the slave trade is something that belongs in the history books that we see yes, pictures of and we read about. But unfortunately, there are uh, modern day issues that continue to be uh, pressing yeah. for the, the drinks uh, trade, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, drinks trade. I mean, as I said, or any any agriculture rate, most most in, in a lot of industries, whether it's be t shirts or computer parts, but mm. there is modern slavery all over the world. And any any chance that someone has 
to take advantage of another uh, for profit. Um, some people will take that. Um, so it's up to us to actually uh, uncover these and expose them and try to stop them. Within the rum industry, uh, again, there's a lot of rum has to come from sugarcane. Um, sugarcane grows grow pretty much anywhere between especially between the tropics of cancer and capricorn um but it's not growing in in areas that are easy accessed uh there are times where you can only use manual labor um to get to that sugarcane so again uh some of these companies uh some companies are quite vigilant and quite understanding of their workers others will try to take advantage until they're exposed um and, and so we're, we're constantly keeping an eye within the rum ministry and there's certain organizations that are looking at things like um uh, the welfare of agricultural workers working in the sugarcane industry. Uh, there's been a big push, for example, in Nicaragua, one of the biggest producers of molasses and sugarcane, because a lot of the workers there um, had developed um, uh, chronic kidney disease because they hadn't, they weren't even getting provisions like water or uh, pro- proper breaks um, throughout the day when you're working in that hot sun. So now, uh, because the spotlight's been put on, on that particular country and, and particular rum brands there, there are now um, hospitals, there is plenty of water, there are regular breaks, there is uh, food access. Uh, there's education for the workers about maintaining their own health, uh, health and, um, and and safety working in those conditions. So it's getting better, but it's still a long way to go. Now you are a, a co-founder of uh, your own uh, rum, which we're going to come to in a yeah. moment. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, uh, more generally, if we want to do the right thing when we buy a bottle of rum, is mm. there a way that we can kind of be sure that uh, we're doing the right thing that we're not? buying a product where somebody has been yeah. exploited? It's a great, great, great question. What, I think another reason why we're seeing pre, certain certain brands and certain premium rums grow is because people are becoming more and more discerning, more uh, asking questions. Where is this rum made? Who makes it? Uh, what is the story behind it? What's in the bottle um, as such? And one of those questions are, what is your track record? Um, can you, are you using fair trade molasses um, or Bon Sucro is a, an organization that actually only buys sugar uh, molasses from certain from certain um, estates around the world or certain countries around the world. So if you know that your rum is buying molasses from there, then you can drink your rum with a, with, 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 without a conscience, a will of conscience, I should say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So there are there are ways of doing that, but you have to do the work. Um, that's the thing. There are some people that are willing to do that. Go online and check to see uh, the, the, the history of their particular rum, their brand, what it stands for. And there are others that just want to have a good drink. So again, it, I think it boils down to the individual person. It's the same as if someone wants to have organic food. Uh, some will and some won't. Some will seek it and some will um, uh, not seek it. Fair trade um products and produce as well so i think it's down to that individual that wants to out, go out there and do the work and do a little bit of research about the products uh, they buy and they purchase and invest in this must have been uh, front of mind uh, for you uh, when you uh, co-founded your own uh, rum yes. brand um equiano 100%. Um, yeah. We'll talk about what's actually in the bottle shortly. But uh, first of all, just explain a bit more about the name Equiano. Well, Equiano is, is named after um, someone I learned about um, when I was very young uh, here in the UK, a guy named uh, Aluda or Alauda Equiano. Now, Equiano was uh, an amazing, an amazing um, freedom fighter, abolitionist, entrepreneur, author, writer, um, an influencer of, of his particular time in the in the 17th century. Um, sorry, the 18th century. Equiano was about 11 years old when he was um, kidnapped and then and sold into slavery um, in West in West Africa. 
He was then sent to Barbados, where he was then traded and then sent to the US for a minute um, and then sent to the UK. He was given to um, sold to a captain on the, of a ship in, in the in the UK, and then he brought him to his family in I think it was in south south of England somewhere. Um, and he grew up with a family. He learned English, and then went back on the ships um, to learn his craft because he was very knowledgeable, very quick to learn, learned English very quickly. Uh, and by the time he was twenty one, uh, only ten years later, he had saved enough money uh, from trading uh, in the Caribbean, working on the ships um, to buy his own freedom. That cost him about forty pounds, which at, at that particular time um, in the seventeen sixties would have been about uh, four years' wages. <laughs> so yeah, that saved a lot of money, and then used that freedom to come back to England to educate uh, Brits uh, and uh, about what was happening in the Caribbean in the slave trade in the Caribbean, and wrote a book about his story. It was the first book written by an African at that particular time where his memoirs uh, were documented. And that book went on to become a nine-time bestseller, translated into several languages. Um, it was called The Interesting Narrative of Alauda Recuano. He actually did a UK tour where he traveled around the UK with the book and explaining to Brits about what it was like to be uh, an African enslaved and what it was like to b- grow up in the, in the colonies. Because a lot of British people didn't know. There was no internet back then. So they only saw just the stories from certain rich people. And it was all painted in the very nice picture. When they heard about the real story, they were, they were in uproar um, as such. And that led on to people like Wilbur Wilberforce um, getting hold of the book and then using that um, as well as other politicians in parliament to help with the transatlantic slave act of 1807, which, which abolished uh, the movement or the, the, the people trafficking of, of Africans over the, um, over, the, over the oceans to the Caribbean. So a very important person. One that not much people know about, very few people know about. And I felt, well, if we put his name on a bottle, that might get people to actually do a little bit of research and find out who he was or what's this Equiano. And it was it was a way for me to actually uh, honor him, um, his name. And also in the rum ministry, when I look at the rum ministry, there aren't too many what's called, uh, uh, women or men of color um, or people of color on the bottles of spirits, even though they were there at the start to help create those particular brands. So it'd be nice to actually see in years to come uh, people going into a bar and say, yeah, I'll have an Equiano and Coke the same way they'll, they'll say, I'll have a Jack Daniels and, and this or a Jim Beam and that or a Johnny Walker and that. Um, I just wanted to put my little bit of mark in and talk, talk a little bit about history um, of Equiano. Um, and also it was it was poignant because he did empower himself by selling rum, <laughs> which is a, a, a really nice way to actually come around, go around in full circle using rum to help with that liberation. Wow, what a guy. And this concept of having to save up your hard-earned cash to buy your freedom is just yeah. uh, blows the mind, doesn't it? But it there does, we go. It's, it does, it, yeah. it's, it's shocking. But um, yeah. it's great to hear you talking about him as, as an influencer as yes. well. Because, I mean, he was. <laughs> yeah. He was. But that's not how we currently think of influencers necessarily, is it? No, but he was, yeah. He, he did lots of talks and seminars and presentations. Um, he teamed up with uh, some other notable Africans that lived in London um, at a particular time. They called, them, called themselves the Sons of Africa. And they were influencers, influencers of other Africans that lived in the UK, but other um, local local British people that lived, that he influenced, as I said, he influenced people like Wilbur Wilberforce and other politicians um, as well. Uh, the day, uh, instead of going online and looking at the influencers there, you had to go to a, a square and hearing someone talk with their book in hand as such. That was the internet. Of, of the days uh, such so yeah if we do look at if we do look at um uh, his life 
uh, back then and uh, equated to what's happened today. Yes, he was an influencer. Yeah, well, yeah, sure he was. Um, tell us about what's in the bottle then, because we've talked about the name and the inspiration. It's a great name. It's a great choice. Yeah. Uh, what's the mm. rum itself? So the rum itself is something that's unique. Again, uh, when I'm talking about rums, I'm always talking about regions, Jamaica rums, Barbados rums, Cuban rums, Martinique rums. When you look at the history of rum or where rum has come from, because there were, there were many, many sugarcane distillates made all the way around the world, but it was it was when the culmination of enslaved Africans and British knowledge of spirits and the technology of the Europeans coming from South America all got together in the island of Barbados. That's when rum actually began got its it got its its spurs as such in fact the name rum came from an old an old english word from devonshire uh called rumbullion and that was that was a word to describe someone that got a bit boisterous and noisy and loud and they actually said it was an uproar and tumult as such but rumbullion was condensed down to the word rum and this is like circa um 1650s as such so rum is a a a barbados spirit as such but some of that knowledge and know-how came from africa so it was, it was, I said, well, wouldn't it be nice if we got some of some rums from Africa and brought that yeah. to the Caribbean, where that evolution is, and blended those together? Because rums are normally blends of either one distillery, one area, um, or one region. Um, so yeah, I said that my ethnicity here in the UK is African Caribbean. So I said, oh, why not create an African Caribbean rum? Hasn't been done. Why not be the first? So yeah, so I was look, looked around to see which which rums in the African continent would be good enough to put into a blend of rums from the Caribbean, and looked at East Africa. Uh, Mauritius, um, because some great rums coming off that island there. Uh, there are some good rums coming out of South Africa, some new rums coming out of Ghana, which we hopefully will be using in the future. But Mauritius um, ticked all the boxes. Uh, and then we sent that to Barbados, uh, again, to the home of rum, to a distillery called Foursquare. And Foursquare has um, been voted the best rum makers over the last five years. Um, they make some excellent, excellent liquid. So the blender there blends the rums from Mauritius, uh, with the rums from Barbados to create a unique uh, blend that we call Equiano. It's bottled uh, in Barbados and then sent here to the UK. And our rum makes the same journey as a louder Equiano made from Africa to Barbados to the UK. And again, that was a conscious decision to, to make that journey. And it makes it a bit more expensive to make, but it was part of the story that we wanted to tell um, of that 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 that, che- that triangle disc, that triangle trade, that triangle journey from Africa, Caribbean, to the uk and you uh, have uh, a couple of um iterations if you like there's a dark and uh, a lighter one isn't there that's right yeah so we have uh, the original was a dark one um, that's a blend of cognac cast rums rums aging ex cognac barrels in mauritius for a minimum of 10 years and then we send that to barbados that's blended with rums aged in once used bourbon barrels uh, so it's two rums blended together that's the original. That's the one that's won all the awards. Every competition has been entered in. It's won a gold medal. Just been, well done, just got a well done. For, uh, cheers, thank you. I just won an award, actually, in travel and spirit business, travel and retail, where we won the overall spirit. So we beat brandies and tequilas and whiskies as the best all-round spirit um, from all the winners of each individual category. But then as, as a bartender and a bartender background, um, we just always love blending styles of rums. So I wanted to create something that, again, spoke about the history of rum and the story. So we have a light version, an Equiano light, and that's a blend of rums made from fresh sugarcane juice. The French like to call it agricole. Uh, and then we ate, we add that with some age rum, that's uh, young rums, only aged for three years, uh, but matured uh, quite quickly and quite a lot in Barbados. 
and we create a light style of rum, very floral and grassy on the nose, but quite a touch of vanilla, natural vanilla notes um, on the finish and great in cocktails. Um, the daiquiri for me is the king of the rum cocktail. So having this, uh, the Equiano light in a daiquiri is just a, a great tasting drink. It also goes, goes great in highballs as well. Um, a rum highball, I'm, I'm always keen to push and press because the gin and tonic guys have tried to monopolize the highball drink with the gin and tonic, but we're like, oh, why not have rum and tonic or uh, a, a rum and premium soda uh, as such? So it goes really well with, with some of the premium sodas out there, the Equiano Light. So those are two iterations that we have. And we have a, 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 we, we have a limited edition that's coming out quite soon. Um, and we'll do a limited edition every year. So that's just for the, the connoisseurs and the collectors that want something slightly different. So I always like to challenge my, my rum master, uh, rum blender to come up with something unique and different. And then we'll have some of those, uh, for our, for our diehard Equiano drinkers, uh, to actually buy, purchase and save and drink, um, for the future. You're doing something relatively unusual in that you're giving 5% of profits away, uh, £2 from the sale of each bottle, I think. Uh, Tell us where that money's going, what it's being used for. Well, one of the the criteria for me getting involved in this particular project was um, definitely wanted to be able to give back and do some good. It wasn't just a case of, oh, just just make a rum. Um, I'm like, no, let's make a statement that happens to be in a bottle of rum. And part of that was to be able to work with, uh, we have a charitable um, cause. Now, Equiano was a freedom fighter and an abolitionist. So what? why not better than help with um, bring uh, a light to modern slavery or work with um, companies or uh, companies, organizations like Anti-Slavery International that are doing fab- a fabulous job around the world, whether it's Europe and Asia and Africa. Um, so yeah, so we created a foundation and every bottle we sell from our website, um, two dollars, two euros, two pounds goes to that foundation. And once we start to make a profit, because we're only three years old as a company, uh, then five percent of our profits will go to that foundation. And our foundation has been giving money um, for the first couple of years to Anti Slavery International, who have done um, remarkably well. Uh, and we've we, we've surprised ourselves with the amount of money we've been able to give to them as well from sales, uh, which has been very very rewarding. Uh, for us emotionally, um, just to see us just say, wow, when you're having a, uh, you're buying a bottle, you're having a drink, you're actually helping individuals around the world that are not in the same uh, situation as us. So that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why I, I got involved in creating this brand. It was really just to, to, to basically help out as much as I can do, do, if everyone did their little, little bit, the world would be a better place. And this was one way to actually do that was to uh, have what's called that type of mindset of creating a brand that could do good. Um, around the world you mentioned uh awards back there and you're a judge at the iwsc who sponsor this program um i'm an iwsc judge as well on on the wine side but um uh, what um in your mind when you're judging rum uh, what Mm. makes a great rum i mean the first thing that jumps out at me is balance balance is so important for me um i don't want to have someone that just jumps out and just takes over um, the particular spirit, and if it is if it is a dominating aroma or flavor, then it has to be backed up with other interesting um, flavors and aromas and other nuances as well to be um, to be complex. Um, and so, I'm looking for balance uh, when it comes to spirits as well. I'm looking for as natural as possible. There is a tendency uh, for some uh, companies to to try to run before they could walk, and they feel that the way to do that is to adulterate. Uh, their product with spices and other other chemicals and other things to try to attain that flavor. I want it as natural as possible. So for me, if, if your rum is if your rum is 
undoused, uh, you'll get more points from me. Not to say that there aren't any good rums out there that have been doused uh, with a little bit of sugar uh, just to round off the flavor. But if it's overly sugared, then I, I don't see that as a world-class or um, supreme spirit. Now, I would never tell someone not to drink those rums because it's about rum experiences. Uh, but what I will do is educate them enough to know what they're drinking. I always believe what's cool, drink what you like, but know what you're drinking. Um, so that's important. So, yeah, so that's how, what I'm looking for when I'm judging rums in various different competitions, balance, balance, uh, naturalness, and something that's, that's maybe a unique, that little X factor that makes you say, wow, this is, comp- this is a good tasting spirit. Um, and a great, great tasting rum as well. So yeah, those are the things I look for when I'm judging competitions. And I noticed yeah. you've got a, a gold um, at the IWSC this year as well. Of course, yeah. we all judge yeah. blind. We judge blind, I yeah. should say. So, so um, you, you're not sitting looking at your own bottle. You know, they're they're, well, they're behind. I'm, I'm actually lucky. I'm actually lucky because I'm one of the um, uh, the, the the head judges. So I don't actually yeah. have to judge all the spirits. All I do is I look at some of the scores, and if something's like way out there, something like one. One judge is given, uh, one table is given a really high score. I'll go to them and say, well, what did they give? why did they give it? So I'll assess um, mm. what the other judges have done. So I don't get to judge my own rums, <laughs> which is which is good because it's, it's, it's done a good enough job with the judges to get a consistent score and it doesn't peak. So, so uh, as a head judge, I'm, I'm looking at the ones that are, are really faulty uh, or the ones where the judges maybe on that particular table are, uh, are not in in agreement. And I come in as the the adjudicator. I come in as the adjudicator and say, yeah, you're right. It's really faulty. Or yes, you're right. It's really good. Um, yeah, so, yeah I, those uh, people do a great job because it requires some real diplomacy you know i've i do this on the wine side i'm I, i'm not a head yeah. judge i'm just sitting on the, the judging panels but um yeah. but but actually when you cannot agree on something it requires yeah. um, some real diplomacy from the person who yeah. has to ultimately rule on that effectively doesn't it yeah i mean i'll give you an example for for a fact um um, like Jamaican rums are always uh, stereotyped as really big and heavy and funky, similar to Isla Whiskey, always described as peaty and uh, brine and salty. And uh, But some of those aromas and flavors can be um, uh, off-putting to some people. Now, the quali- those particular qualities are important for that style of rum or that style of whiskey. So someone might mark it down because they're smelling like brine and peaked and like, oh, I'm not getting, because it may be used to drinking, say, something from Speyside in, in whiskey terms, fruity and round and that type of stuff. But it shouldn't be marked down. That's the style of whiskey that it should be. With Jamaican rums, they shouldn't be marked down because you're getting that uh, bit of rubber and uh, uh, r- maybe uh, overripe pineapple that may be off-putting to some people, uh, that funkiness. That's what we want in, in certain styles of Jamaican rum. So one judge might score it highly another judge might score it lowly and i have to go in there and say well it's a jamaica rum it should be smelling like this Mm. let me see if it's a good jamaica rum yes it is right give it the we'll give it a score from the the higher judges as opposed to marking it down so again that's that's part of my role uh in the iwsc is to uh, be that adjudicator (laughs) yeah it's a good example as well because that's absolutely right it's understanding typicity and and where that typicity uh, is being exhibited, but might not be to someone's personal taste, and that's that's where you come in, which which is yeah. great. You mentioned sweetness just now. Yes, I don't mm. really like sweet things, and that has always slightly put me off rum. Uh, uh, should I be put off rum because I don't really like sweet things? And it's a great question. So with rum, I always say there are sweet rums and there are sweetened rums. So a sweet rum is naturally sweet. 
So if you try rums, let's say from uh, Foursquare in Barbados, one of the things that jumps out at me is the sweetness that they attain from the barrels, uh, the American oak or the Madeira casks they've used or the various different type of wine casks that they use there. So when you taste Otica rums, it's a natural sweetness that dries off um, easily, where if something's been sweetened, that sweetness stays right through the drink because you've added uh, sugar in there, possibly to round off the flavor of your drink. Unfortunately, there are some brands that want to add a lot of sugar inside there because they feel that that's the only way they're going to sell their product um, as such. I can understand when someone says they don't like rums because they think they're sweet because a lot of these sweet rums have been uh, the poster child uh, for rum. But if we look at the awards now, the rums that are winning these big awards and are revered by the collectors and the rum connoisseurs, 99.9% reoccurring have no sugar added to them, none whatsoever. So um, it, it depends on the type of drinker you are. And if I, if you came to me and you said, Ian, I don't like sweetness in my rum or sweet, sweetened rums, I could give you a selection of 10 rums that I think you'd enjoy. Uh, but I'd also ask what type of spirits you drink as well. Because if you say I only drink vodka, then it's going to be a bit more challenging for me <laughs> to give you uh, a 15-year-old a, a rum coming out of, say, uh, Mauritius, uh, or Barbados or Martinique uh, for you to appreciate. I'd have to find a very light tasting rum that's very subtle, that's more vodka-esque for you. <laughs> okay, well, at some point, I'm going to stand the other side of a bar or in your yeah. shoffice that you're speaking to us from now, de- <laughs> decorated with bottles in the background, and we'll put that to the test at some point. That would be, uh, yeah, that would be that. great. Um, <laughs> rum has a really big role to play in cocktail culture. Um, yes. You alluded to this earlier on. Um, would you go as far as to say it's one of the most important cocktail elements? I would say so. I'm a bit biased there, but yes, I, I would definitely say so. Cocktails are a volume driver for rums. In the early days, um, it was a volume driver, but it didn't build brands. When you went into a bar and asked for a mojito and they were doing 10 mojitos every second, they wouldn't, consumers wouldn't ask for a particular brand. They just asked for a mojito. So it wasn't building the brand. It was just increasing real and volume. But now you're actually seeing consumers actually ask for certain brands in their drink, in their cocktail. You have company like, for example, Bacardi, um, promoting the Bacardi co- uh, Bacardi Mojito. You'd have Cuban rums like Havana Club, say the Havana Club Daiquiri, um, or Santiago de Cuba, a new Cuban rum that's just come onto market, promoting um, Santiago, the, Santiago de Cuba, the cocktail itself, um, with their rum. So people are actually brand calling certain rums now for their particular cocktails. And also when it comes to creating flavors, rums, without question of a doubt, have more aroma and flavor to deliver in a particular cocktail than any other spirit. Uh, and that's been proven scientifically using your olfactory senses and the different uh, aromas and esters that come out of rum far out sees any other uh, spirit out there, which means you have more flavors, aromas to play with. Yes, yeah, so rum and rum cocktails, are, are rums are an important part of that. But one other final thing is emotional connection. Where is rum made? It's made in the tropics. Um, majority of rums are made in the tropics. And what do people do in the tropics, especially when they're from cold countries like here in the UK or you may be in Europe? You go to the tropics on holiday and you have that emotional connection of having fun. And one of the drinks you're going to have is probably a rum cocktail. So you come back home and you have that smile on your face when you order a, a Mai Tai, a Pina Colada, um, a Dark and Stormy. So that emotional connection is an important part of driving sales, driving rum as a category and increasing awareness. Yeah, it's kind of principle with... Provence Rosé, you know, it reconnects yeah. in a beautiful place and you think, exactly. oh, the sun, the blue sea, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I, I always think that every time I order some rosé. <laughs> I yeah. always think of 
the holiday. I never think of a cold climate and order no, in a glass of rose. No, most people <laughs> don't. Although it's, a, it's actually a great wine at Christmas, but I digress. It's back to rum. Um, so t- you mentioned some of the cocktails there. Have you got a um, a kind of desert island cocktail, a go-to rum cocktail? That creature me is a king of the rum cocktails, but I suppose a desert island cocktail has to be a punch. Has to be a punch. Um, the punch is uh, one of those drinks that has really been associated with the history and the culture uh, of rum, especially in the Caribbean. And that everyone has their own different recipes uh, of punch. We have the one of sour, which would be normally your lime or your citrus. Your two of sweet, which would be sugar, um, sugar syrup, or some sort of sweetener. Three of strong, which would be rum. Uh, four of weak, water uh, traditionally, but it could be fruit juice, um, but water or ice. And then five of spice to make it nice, which came on a little bit later. And you add a little bit of maybe nutmeg or cinnamon or or spice or even a bit of mint. So for me, the rum punch is the desert island uh, drink. And everyone has their own recipe of a punch. Um, Funny enough, the word punch is actually not a Caribbean word. It's actually a a Hindi word. Uh, It means five. And uh, it was five ingredients that came from from India to the UK and then went to the Caribbean, the actual punch. So... um, yeah, it's, it's almost traveled around the world, ended up in the Caribbean. We've adopted it as our desert island drink. Uh, you're a familiar face uh, to many viewers on, on Channel 4's Sunday brunch, of course. Um, do you enjoy that mm-hmm. kind of uh, side of your role being on the telly? Oh, I love it. Love it. Um, yeah, it's great fun um, hanging out with the guys, the presenters, but also also educating a wider audience, a wider base um, one wider than I could do on either social media or just uh, my rum events um, out there. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's great doing that every couple of weeks, talking about different styles of rums and creating new cocktails and uh, and just trying to uh, influence, again, more people into the into the rum industry and creating awareness about the different styles of rums out there. So it's, it's great fun. It's really good fun. Mm, and do you think uh, the drinks industry is, you know, as diverse as you would like it to be? It's, it's, it's not as diverse as it should be. And I suppose one of the reasons why, I've always tried to peel away the layers and understand why it's not as diverse. And I think one of the reasons why is because we've always, we, uh, they, they say we fought so hard to get out of the kitchens and get out of the, the service industry to get into other industries. Why are we trying to get back into that? Uh, but it's, it's tough now to get back into it because it's, it's been a, it was for me, for example, when I first started, it was a bit of a stigma uh, from my family. Uh, why do you want to be a bartender? Why do you want to work on a bar? Um, why would you want to be a chef? Uh, you could be a doctor, you could be a lawyer, you could be uh, anything else. Um, just because it just wasn't associated with that, that, that longevity of a career um, as such. So I suppose that's one of the reasons why um, that we don't see it, we don't see the industry as diverse as it could be, especially here in the UK. But there are organizations um, like Be Inclusive Hospitality that are creating awareness uh for black and brown and uh people of 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 minorities that are in the industry uh doing well as chefs as bartenders as wait staff as entrepreneurs and they're they're creating an award ceremony we just recently had an award ceremony last week um to give out to 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 load of uh load of entrepreneurs within the industry and um yeah i think more and more uh more and more will come through Hopefully people like myself maybe influence some, someone to say, you know what, well, Ian's doing it, then uh, he looks like me. Why can't I be uh, an ambassador for a spirit or ambassador for a brand or uh, run my own, create my own rum um, as such? But uh, it, it, you have to take steps to move to that direction. And you also have to want to be 
uh, on that journey, go on that journey. So I'm hoping that I'm inspiring some people to actually want to come on that journey with me um, to uh, to make this industry even more inclusive than it could be. Mm. Well, I'm sure you are doing just that, by the way. Um, <laughs> on a lighter note, I, mm. uh, I, I found somewhere uh, a fact about you. Um, oh, no. You have a Guinness World Record under your belt, <laughs> right. I think, right? Yeah, I did, but they, they took it off, but not took it off me. I, I, I lost it. Um, oh, no. I got, I got awarded. No, no, I got awarded. Uh, so I had the record, but then the, the organization I took it from then beat it because they were upset that. Uh, I took their record like a week after they did it. I didn't even know they were doing it. Um, they were based, they're based in Peru. And uh, so I had more people at my rum tasting in London a week later. So they didn't even get a chance to actually get accredited by the Guinness Book of Records. Um, so then they came back a year later and doubled the amount of people that I had. So they hold the record. But I'm going to come and take it back. Next year, okay. I'm going I'm, I'm I'm to get a thousand people uh, in a room doing an official rum tasting and we're going to set the new world record for the largest rum tasting. So I'm going to take it back. But I do have my certificate uh, on my wall in my at home. Um, but yeah, I want to take it back, get it back here to, to England. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good luck with that. Just finally, I have to ask you this question. You can't choose your own. Uh, what's your <laughs> What's your favourite rum? What's your desert island rum? What's the best one you've wow. ever had? I actually... Oh, that's two questions. They're the best thing I've ever oh, had. Well, I suppose it is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you, my, I actually have three favourite rums. The one in my glass, the next one, and a free one. And um, the reason why I, I, I say that is because at any given time, it depends on where I'm drinking, who I'm drinking with, um, I'll have a glass of rum. And that, at that particular time, is the best rum in the world because I'm enjoying it. I'm drinking it with friends, which I feel rum is really appreciated when you're drinking it with friends as such. So I always say the one in my glass, the next one obviously is similar to the first one, but it might be a different rum. But a free rum as well is always good. And Someone said to me recently, oh, yeah, but say if it's a, a rum that you don't like, uh, then it won't be the best rum in the world. I'm like, yeah, but then it won't be free because I'm going to pay for it later. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not one of my favorite rums. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so th- those are my three uh, favorite rums. Uh, the one in my glass, the next one, and a free one. Okay, that is the most novel answer we've ever had to that question. So uh, <laughs> that's brilliant. Thank you, Ian. It's great pleasure chatting to you. Oh, I've learned a lot as well about rum, brilliant, but it's brilliant. just been it's been great fun, as I kind of knew it would be. So, uh, but also really fascinating and, and 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 interesting too. So, thank you so much for talking to us on the drinking hour oh, today, Ian. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we should do it again another time. We'll do it live. <laughs> yeah, we will. We'll do that. Thank you. Brilliant. Cheers. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Right, we'll round off with a rum or two or five in this case. Uh, All of these uh, medal winners at the IWSC in 2022, uh, with Ian overseeing uh, those judging panels as a member of the Spirit Judging Committee. First of all, we have to mention that uh, gold medal I alluded to earlier for Equiano, the rum that Ian co-founded. We were talking about this one, uh, that percentage also going to uh, good causes. Um, Ian is uh, in charge of that uh, judging process uh, on the day, but don't forget that everybody, including those overseeing, uh, judge blind. Uh, So nobody 
ever sees uh, a bottle. So it's obviously not a case of just giving your own rum a gong. Uh, the panel, by the way, was uh, Nick King, uh, Tom Bartram, Edward Bates and James Goggin. And this is what they had to say of Equiano, uh, the uh, brown uh, version, dark version. Um, lime sherbet, guava, fresh fruit, creamy molasses, brown sugar, toasted caramel and a vegetal edge on the nose, combining with vibrant black currant and licorice flavours on the palate. Rich, rounded and balanced with a fruity finish, showing long length and complexity. Next, a gold medal winner with a whopping 98 points. Uh, this one is from California. Cutwater Spirits, Valley High Tiki, Dark Rum. Uh, the judges are clearly super impressed. Here's what they said as they gave their gold medal. Rich and deep with a coffee-infused nose, immensely interesting and smoky on the palate as dried prunes and sweet toffee interlace, delivering a lovely complexity and enjoyably long finish. Next, a very familiar name with a gold medal, uh, Bacardi Rum, 10-year-old Gran Reserva DS Rum. This one is from uh, beautiful Puerto Rico. Uh, the tasting note, lots of bright fruits on the palate with a lovely level of sweetness, tropical fruit, cooked banana and a silky buttery mouth coating texture. Long and balanced finish. And next, another famous name, uh, also uh, scooping uh, a gold medal, this time 96 points. This one is from Elixir Distillers, Black Tot Master Blenders Reserve Rum 2021. Uh, Black Tot, a reference to that uh, shot that uh, sailors were given uh, each day until not that long ago, actually. Uh, the judges said of this, an attractive and inviting perfumed nose with bourbon cask, molasses, rose, toasted oak, herbal sweets, burnt sugar and toffee aromas on the nose, combining with the necessary heat and oily, creamy texture on the expressive palate. Lovely, soft and complex finish. And talking of finishing, here's uh, a final uh, medal winner uh, with quite a bit of age under its belt. House of Rum 16-year-old XO Reserve Rum from Venezuela. As I said, silver medal winner, 93 points. Uh, here's what the judges had to say. Rich caramel, chocolate, spice and nuts deliver a complex nose that flows into a bold fruitcake and dark chocolate palette enjoyably well integrated. Well done to those uh, medal winners. Uh, that's it for this week. Uh, my thanks to Ian Burrell for being both fascinating and fun. I uh, hope you enjoyed that chat and uh, perhaps like me, you learned a bit as well. Uh, you can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram and Twitter. I am Mr. Venusaurus on Instagram and Twitter. You're very welcome to follow me. That would be very nice. Uh, for now, though, uh, it's goodbye. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world.